0: Imagine one television programme that many of us are familiar with would be the television programme The Antiques Roadshow. I'm sure most of us will have seen that at one point, whether it's a favourite of yours or not. It uh, often involves people taking uh, an item from home, uh, something of a personal property item, maybe a family heirloom, uh, maybe something they bought at a charity shop or bought at a car boot sale, maybe something they found in the attic when they bought their house, and taking it to the experts to be valued hoping they'll discover something that's uh, valuable, far more valuable than they hoped or imagined. And now and again, there's a story, isn't there, of somebody who takes something and they're uh, gobsmacked to find it's far more valuable than they, they expect maybe worth hundreds or even thousands of pounds, maybe a family heirloom, as they discover its true worth. Now, I don't know how those antiques experts do that. They must have a real eye for detail to know the marks and the signs of something that's truly valuable from something which is not actually worth anything at all or something which might even be a fake. They have an eye for detail to tell uh, the true worth of something and distinguish it and know its value rather than uh, just a, a fake con or something that's not very valuable at all. Now in the in the churches which John is writing to uh, it seems there's some false teachers which have grown up in the church and are trying to pull the Christians away from following Jesus. And it seems they're, they're bringing a different message, a, a, a counterfeit message. And John wants these believers, these Christians, to be able to tell the difference between the true message of Jesus, the true gospel, and what was a distorted message. So they'll stay faithful to Jesus and stay on the right track. So just like those antiques experts, you could distinguish between what's uh, truly valuable and what was uh, a fake or a counterfeit and what's not worth very much at all. So John wants these Christians and us to be able to... Uh, be able to have the, the, the strength and the ability to distinguish between the true message of Jesus and what's the distortion of it so we'll stay faithful to the true gospel because that's the real treasure isn't it the, the greatest treasure we could have is the gospel in Jesus himself John wants us to be able to distinguish between what's true and what's false when it comes to the Lord Jesus you know I think last week if you were here we were saying that the Christian life is uh, described in John's letters like a walk We said it's like a a long obedience in the same direction. If I was going on a long walk uh, with friends or uh, with just someone, I'd want to be confident I'm going on the right track. If some of us were going onto the hills in Yorkshire with a map and a compass or a sat-nav, I'd want us to be confident that at least one of us can read a map, one of us knows how to use a compass, or one of us has got a sat-nav so we can know we're going on the right track. if If we've got a long journey ahead of us with Jesus, we want to be confident We're on the right path. And so John writes his letters so they can know which is the right path uh, to go down. So we can be confident we're on the right path with the Lord. So we're picking up some themes which come out throughout the letter. But particularly today, we're going to see what we might call three marks of true Christianity. Or three signs, actually, that we're on the right path if we're following Jesus. Three marks to distinguish between true Christianity and what's a distortion, or three signs we are actually on the right path on that long obedience in the same direction, that walk with the Lord. So here's the first aspect we've seen our passage today of true Christianity, and we've seen our passage. It's this: the true Christianity is marked by real love. True Christianity should be marked by real love. I get this from verses seven to eleven. Have a look down at seven to eleven with me, and I'll read it again. Verse. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, John here reminds them and us and exhorts us to be people who are marked by walking in love for one another. John says that walking in love is a sign of being truly in the light. Whereas uh, hating one's brother or one's sister in the faith is actually a mark of walking in the darkness or even being spiritually blinded by the spiritual darkness. He says that to walk in love is a a sign of actually also abiding in the light, remaining, staying in the light. We we know we're staying in light if we are walking in love. I think it's similar to what John uh, said last week, if you were here last week, we said there had to be a a consistency and integrity between our public profession and our our practice. Public profession and practice should line up. And integrity is shown in in practicing real love for one another between our brothers, brothers and sisters in the faith. Now what John says when you read it, it might slightly confuse us a bit, because he seems to on one hand say it's an old commandment, and then he says it's a new commandment. What is, what is he getting out there? Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandments, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Seems a bit confusing. What does John mean when he says it's both an old commandment and a new commandment? Well, the command, of course, to love God and love one another is an old commandment. We're given it in the Old Testament. But there is a sense, though, in which it has a new and a deeper meaning. And we've been given a new example of what it means through the life and the example of Jesus. So when Jesus was on earth, if you know the account in the gospel, someone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment there is? And Jesus replied saying there and then he said, well, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus there was quoting from the Old Testament law, I think Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So it's an old commandment. But we have been given, haven't we, a new example, a new illustration of what that means in practice. It's got a new depth to it because we've now got the example of Jesus' love for us, his sacrificial love, which gives it a new depth. We see that commandment in a new light. There's no greater demonstration of love than the love of Jesus demonstrated on the cross for us, of him laying down his life for us, him enjoying the pain and the shame and the scandal of the cross and the humiliation of the cross for us, paying the price completely himself, so it's free to us, so we could be ransomed, we could be redeemed, like Trevor was saying in that illustration. We could be ransomed and redeemed for the Lord. Jesus gave his life so we could live. There's no greater demonstration of love than the love of Jesus shown for us. So when we think of that commandment to, to love your neighbour as yourself, it now has a new depth, a new, a, new, a new significance to it. We've given a new example of what it looks like in the life of Jesus. Someone once gave an illustration like this, I, I find this helpful. Um, if you imagine a, a room in a house if you're visiting a house and imagine it's a darkened room and there's just a little bit of light coming in through the window or through the curtains and you see maybe faintly see the furniture in the room and, and you can make out the chairs or table or sofa and maybe a, a bookshelf and you can faintly make out the room with this little bit of light coming in then someone comes in and they switch on the light and you can then see the whole room clearly because the light's been put on. you can see exactly where the furniture is and the, the shades and the colours and different things in the room you see it clearly well he says in the old testament everything was there in the old testament already it was all in place already that commandment was there in the old testament but when jesus come he comes he switches on the lights, and everything is now clearer since jesus come and we see actually the true depth and the meaning and truly what it means to to, to love one another through the example of jesus jesus come he switched on the lights for us because he is the light I think one of the most famous passages about love in the Bible would be, of course, 1 Corinthians 13, the the famous love passage. Maybe uh, It's often read, isn't it, at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, although it's not written about weddings, really. Maybe some of you, if you're married, might have had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding. You might have heard it read at weddings. But some people have actually argued, and I think it's quite helpful, that in that passage, 1 Corinthians 13, if you read it, we can actually, in a sense, insert the name of Jesus wherever it says Love. So I've done this for us, it come up on the screen I think where Paul says this imagine inserting Jesus' name where we find the word love in 1 Corinthians 13 it says this Jesus is patient Jesus is kind Jesus does not envy Jesus does not boast Jesus is not proud Jesus does not dishonour others Jesus is not self-seeking Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. It's a beautiful description of the character of Jesus, what he is like in his humanity, his perfect humanity, his character, his love. And that is actually what god in his plan actually wants to make us like if we're followers jesus, to make us more like the lord jesus himself one day gradually that'll be completed and make us perfectly like jesus in his character now it might actually well be the more, might be the truth this morning if we're being honest with ourselves, we were being honest before the lord it might be the truth for some of us actually this morning we are actually harboring hatred in our hearts i don't know your hearts Uh, you don't know everything in my heart it might be the case for some of us we are harboring hatred in our hearts for our brothers and sisters in their faith and so God's word this morning does say to us and I think God is saying to us through his word if that's the case we do actually need to deal with that that is inconsistent with following Jesus If if we're harboring hatred in our hearts God's word says to us this morning we have to address that we can't hold on to that we want to keep faithfully following Jesus Actually, the passage gives us a number of warnings about the, the dangers of continuing to walk in darkness. He says, uh, if you walk in darkness, you might stumble. I think the stumbling there, as we'll see, is actually uh, being more vulnerable to stumbling over false teaching. If we're walking in the dark, we'll be more uh, likely to be uh, taken in by false teaching and stumble over it. He says, people who walk in the dark might not even know where they're going, verse 11. And of course, if we're walking harbouring hatred or walking in the darkness actually we're not going to fully enjoy god's light are we we'll not enjoy the fullness of god's light and what it means to bask in god's light so how so we are to walk in the light that's a sign of true christianity we, we need to be growing in that maybe we need to pray that we'll grow in love for one another that's god to help us grow in love for one another well how can we do that then how can we Practically grow and love one another. I thought some suggestions are simple things. I'm sure you might come up with some ideas yourself. Uh, Practical, concrete things we can do to care for one another, love one another. Things like checking in on how people are doing, texting someone a verse during the week to encourage them, spending time with people, praying for people, praying that God would help us to grow in love, and serving others. Uh, and it can just be serving people in low-key ways. It doesn't have to be something big and grand. It can be serving one another in low-key ways. And maybe other things you can think of. I'm sure you've got some good ideas yourself. So true Christianity is marked by real love. Let's go on to the second mark then of true Christianity. So if you want to distinguish between what's true and uh, what's not true, we want to be sure we're on the right path. Well, true Christianity gives real love assurance so our second mark today true christianity gives real assurance i get this from verses 12 to 14 so have a look down at verse 12 to 14 with me again i'll read it again for us it says this i'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake i'm writing to you father because you know him who is from the beginning i'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one i write to you children because you know the father I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I think these verses get quite close to the heart of John's letter and he wants to give them assurance that they really do know the Lord Jesus, they really do know God, they're on the right path. He repeats what he says a number of times then because he wants to really, uh, he wants these truths to settle into their hearts, so they'll be assured. Some people said these verses are almost to be like a transition point, a turning point in, let's say, chapters 1 to 2. John reminded them of the message he brought them, the message of the truth of the gospel, the difference between tr- uh, light and dark, truth and lies, and the, the message of Jesus. And then after this, uh, uh, this this a this, uh, word of assurance. So he then transitions in the rest of his letter to speak more uh, directly about false teachers and some of the dangers and worldliness which they need to be, be aware of. So this is like a, close to the heartbeats of what John wants to say in his letter to them. And he actually says this is why he's writing, isn't he? He says, I'm writing to you so you can have these things so they can be assured. Now, I think there's only one other verse in in John's letter, I'm aware of where he makes really clear he says explicitly that the reason, his motive, his intention for writing. It's right to the end of his letter. It's uh, chapter five, verse 20, where John says this. He says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John's saying that his reason for writing, his whole motive for writing, he wants them to be confident, to be sure they know Jesus, the true Jesus, to be, to be confident to have that relationship with him. So as these false teachers are trying to take them astray. They'll know that's a false path not to listen to them. Now going back to chapter 2 and these verses, you know, John's saying to him, isn't he, he's saying you know, he can see good fruit in them. John, who knew Jesus for himself, spent three years with Jesus, he could see good fruit in them. John was confident they knew Jesus, they knew the Father. He was confident their sins have been forgiven in Jesus' name, they've overcome the evil one. John's confident they are on the right path. So, carry on, keep going, persevere, don't listen to these false teachers, stay on the right path. <coughs> I'd like to say I think all these blessings and this status John talks about here. Uh, this, I don't think this. I don't think we should take. Uh, I don't think we should allow the the kind of masculine terminology when he talks about fathers and young men. I don't think that should allow us to obscure the fact actually these blessings and this status are true for any Christian, both male and female, any uh, anyone, male or female, if you're following Jesus. These blessings and this status is true of you. You can know with assurance that your sins are forgiven. You can know with assurance, you know the real Jesus and you know God the Father. And you share in Jesus' victory over the evil and you can know that with assurance. So John says, keep going, press on, persevere, don't give up. I wonder if you've ever had the experience in your own life of uh, wondering if perhaps you're on the wrong track as a Christian. I wonder if you're on the, the wrong track as a Christian, it can be quite disconcerting, can't it? If you're ever on a, if it's a journey, or maybe a long journey, and you begin to wonder if you're on the, you've, you've taken a wrong path on your journey. So, I'm sure it's not just me it's happened to you. If you get on a, a long train journey, maybe one day, and uh, you, you get on a train journey, maybe from London, coming home to, to Leeds, and maybe after a few stops, you begin to wonder, you're actually, am I on the right train? And maybe you turn to a passenger nearby and you say, "Is this the train to Leeds?" And I say, "Yeah." And then you just want to be doubly sure So maybe speak to one of the people who works for the train company. You say, is this the train to leave? And they say, yeah. And they, uh, you're confident you're on the right train. Well, I, I do that sometimes, don't know about you? It can be dis- dis- disconcerting, can't it be, to think you're on the wrong track? Well, simply, can you imagine how disconcerting it could be to think you're on the wrong track in your Christian life? To think you've taken a wrong turn in your Christian life? That could come from a number of different places. Try and imagine these different scenarios Imagine you have a Christian friend from another church who comes to you and maybe says something like this they say, Well, in our church, uh, we believe you can have a, a completely, totally victorious Christian life. You can in, in God you can be free forever from temptation and sin and never fall into sin ever again. You can be one hundred percent victorious in this life. And you might think so, Well, that sounds great, I've not got that. Maybe there's something I'm missing. I don't think that is what the Bible promises us, by the way. You can understand that, and that might be disconcerting. You think you're on the wrong track. Or years ago, people used to say things like this. People used to say, oh, yeah, have you had the baptism of the Spirit? Yeah, you, uh, you become a Christian when you follow Jesus, but there's this second stage, second stage when you receive the Holy Spirit. Have you had that baptism of the Spirit? Have you had that second subsequent experience? And you could think to yourself, well, I'm not sure if I had that. I wonder if I'm on the wrong track. Is there something I'm missing? In case you don't know, I think God's word says we receive the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus, it's the spirit of Jesus. So when you accept Jesus, you get his spirit as well. Or imagine it could come this way. Imagine a scenario many of us would be familiar with. You could get a knock on the door one day. And it's a Jehovah's Witnesses at your door. And they, Jehovah's Witnesses, try to persuade you that there's something wrong with the gospel you have read in the Bible, in the words. They say they've got a different message. They think their message is better than the gospel read in the Bible. And you think, well, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need to listen to what they say. Maybe I'm on the wrong track. It can be disconcerting, can't it, to think we're on the wrong track. You see, John wants them to be sure wants us to be sure if we we've listened to their message the message of the apostles if we know the gospel we don't need to be worried we're on the right track keep going persevere if you know uh, the message of the gospel from the bible you can be confident and you're following jesus you know the real jesus you know god the father your sins have been forgiven and you're on the winning side you're you're among those who overcome the evil one keep going persevere be sure of it don't worry don't don't turn back And John also, I think here, and I want to pick this up, John gives a little insight of how we can be strong in the fight, how we can be strong to keep fighting as Christians. It's there in verse 14. He says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him from the beginning. You know him who is from the beginning. I wrote to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. John says that the way we remain strong in the fight is through letting Jesus' word abide in us. Uh, uh, Letting his word abide in us and us abiding in it. It's being faithful to his word, being faithful to his message. So it's through the word that we're strong for the fight. If you're going a a long journey, you want to be strong for that long journey. We're kept strong through the word of God. Uh, I help and some of us go to uh, the Wednesday morning growth group City uh, Church, it's a Good Grace Group, a lot of people attend, we, we enjoy meeting on a Wednesday morning, and at the in the Wednesday morning Grace Group, we're going through the Book of Revelation, like Trevor read from the Book of Revelation, we, just this last week we were looking at Revelation 12, and in Revelation 12 it talks about the spiritual fight and how the evil one attacks the saints and makes war on the saints, and in Revelation 12 it says how the saints uh, overcame and won and persevered, and it says in Revelation 12, that they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the words of their testimony. That was their, their, their strategy for fighting, for winning the battle, by the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, and by the word of their testimony, the testimony to Jesus. They were faithful to the gospel. Whereas John says here, the word of God abides in you. So the way we're strong for the fight, the way we're strong to keep going on this long Journey this long obedience in the same direction. This walk with the Lord is to let His Word abide in us, us abiding in it, feeding on it, letting His Word make you strong to keep going. So then, true Christianity is marked by real love. True Christianity gives real assurance, and here's the last thing, last signpost we need to uh, listen to this morning. It says that true Christianity heeds a real warning. True Christianity heeds a real Warning. This is from verses 15 to 17. So let's look down at these verses in this last point this morning. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, after giving those assurances, John transitions now into the second part of his letter. And here he's starting to speak more directly about some of the dangers they face, these false teachers, and here about the danger of worldliness. He puts his finger on this issue of loving the world, he called or worldliness. And it's a kind of love, isn't it? It's clear it's, it's different to the love he was talking about, how we're to love uh, the church family, love the Lord, love one another. But there's a love here which he warns us against. And you might know that in past generations, I think former generations of Christians, would have talked about worldliness quite a lot. That's maybe something we don't talk about so much these days, about the danger of worldliness. Uh, But what exactly does John mean when he talks about not loving the world? Because you might know, if you know John's Gospel, and probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But here John says, we're not to love the world. What is going on? How do we put those two things together? When on the one hand John says God loved the world and we are to love non-Christians, to love our friends and the church family. But then John says we're not to love the world. What is going on? How do we put those two things together? I think it's really helpful to know that actually in the Bible there are two senses in which it talks about the world. So there's a sense in which the world is the creation and God made a good creation, a good world and we should thank God for it and we can enjoy it. And enjoy all the good things in the world which God has blessed us with and God generously uh, abundantly gives to us so there's that sense of the world but there's also another sense the Bible talks about the world as the world is the, the rebellious order of humankind of humankind turning its back on God and rebelling against its creator so as the world is the, just a creation how God made a good creation and we can enjoy that and be thankful for that and use it and make the most of it like the, enjoy the sunshine and, and, and the weather But then there's also world in the sense of a rebellious human order, which is rebelling against God. And here it's clear when John talks about the world here, not loving the world, he means that rebellious human order, which has turned its back on God. And John mentions three areas of worldliness. He talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's look at them each in turn. The desires of the flesh. Take it as talking about sinful cravings, the sinful flesh, to be governed by sinful desires rather than being governed by the will of God. There's the desires of the eyes, that's to be uh, living for materialism and greed, the things I can see that I want, that maybe i covet, to be, to be governed by materialism and greed. And then there's the pride of life, that's uh, boasting in our achievements and in our acquirements and being proud in them rather than boasting in God and being humble before God and to lift myself up rather than lifting other people up so sinful desire, sinful greed and materialism and sinful boasting rather than loving God and living by his will and John wants to see actually as well that that that, that worldliness actually eventually has a dead end it doesn't go on for eternity says so that the darkness is passing away and the light is winning that uh, the world, verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever so our lifestyle of loving the world eventually has a dead end it doesn't go anywhere but Yeah, I think one of the reasons why John writes this in his letter and leading into the rest of the letter and why John says this to us is because I think John knows that if we are people who love the world and, and a, Fall in love with these things he mentions, actually we'd be a lot more vulnerable and perhaps a lot more susceptible to false teaching and varieties of false teaching. If we love the world, as John warns us not to, we'll be a lot more vulnerable to listening to false teaching, which would take us down a wrong path and lead us astray. So I you to use your imagination just for a few minutes. Imagine, if you would, that uh, a false teacher comes along And uh, this false teacher says, you know, you don't need to worry about sin. You don't need to worry about consequential sin. You know, God's a nice God. God will uh, turn a blind eye to all our sins that we do. Uh, God won't ever hold us accountable. You you don't need to worry about sin. Well, you can imagine if you're a person who uh, loves the desires of the flesh, then that kind of false teaching might be quite tempting, wouldn't it? It'd be quite seductive to listen to that false teacher and tell us, actually, we don't need to worry about the flesh. Or imagine if you're the sort of person who uh, loves the desires of the eyes and wants to be greedy and materialistic, who thinks that uh, you know, whoever has the most toys wins at the end. And then a false teacher comes along and says, you know, if you listen to my my teaching, you can be really rich and wealthy, extremely wealthy. Your God wants you to be extremely wealthy. You can name and claim it. It's God's desire for you to be abundantly wealthy. If you're someone who uh, loves the desires of the eyes, of greed and materialism, that kind of false teaching is going to be quite tempting, isn't it? It's going to be quite seductive. John knows if we love the world, as he describes it, we're going to be much more susceptible to false teaching. Actually, later on, in chapter 4, verse 5, he says this. He says, I think it's first come up on the screen. He says, speaking of these false teachers, they are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them they from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. John doesn't want us to go down that wrong path. He wants to stay on the right path. So how is it then that we can make sure we're on the right path, keeping going? How can we stay on the right path, not be led astray? Well, I think the answer is there in verse 14 for us. Where he says, I write to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Continue to hold on to Jesus' word, God's word. Let God's word abide in you. Keeping yourself, keeping your own nose in God's word. Being faithful to God's words. And as we stay faithful to God, we also stay close to Jesus and close to the Father. And we share in Jesus' victory over the evil one. So I write to you because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. And there will come a day at the end of our own journeys. So when Jesus comes back, there will come a day when darkness and evil will be banished altogether. When light will win, darkness will be cast out. We'll no more have to fight against sin and temptation and the temptation of the world. And we'll see the Lord face to face uh, and we'll share in his eternity forever with him. So press on, keep going. You're on the right path. Let's pray together. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the food of your word and the warnings it gives us. We pray, Lord, you help us to put these things into practice. We pray you help us, Lord, to be those who walk in light rather than walk in darkness. Help us to grow in love for you and love for one another. We pray, Lord, you help us to be assured of our security in you, Lord, as well. If we know Jesus today, We pray you'll be secure in the knowledge we have in you. Of your salvation, your love for us, our sins are forgiven, and we share in Jesus' victory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.